This is K20 Innovates, an ecosystem of live podcasts focused on innovation and education. You are listening to Relearning Wonder with Sam Reader. Every few weeks, I'll be speaking with people who are creating a positive impact in the world through their curiosity, creativity, and love for lifelong learning. Today, we're looking at how small systems thinking can lead to big outcomes and the role that education has, perhaps even the obligation it has, in preparing young people for a future we cannot predict. I'm joined today by Rachel Sheila Khan, who's the founder of Circular Earth, a sustainable fashion consultancy, a lecturer of sustainability and ethics in business, and also the founder of a growing community tackling fast fashion around the world, the Ecosystem Incubator. Rachel's journey has been a meandering path driven by a relentless questioning of the world around her and a pure passion towards impacting others. So welcome to Relearning Wonder. What is the wonder of wonder? Fear of failure prevents us from reaching our full potential. We need to pave the way for them to ask why. Curiosity gives us nine lives. Marked with a low grade, the inevitable talk happens. And you're teaching kids to hate maths. And that's very, very sad. And, and then you try again. It's never too late. It's my mission to sort of defend that curiosity. Never believe a prediction that doesn't empower you. But hopefully, along this little journey, I've managed to inspire a little wonder in you as well. So welcome, Rachel. I think as a first question, it would just be great to hear where things started for you. Lecturing, running a business, starting your own community to tackle fast fashion. Could you reflect on your journey with us and share how you arrived at the point you're at now? Sure. Um, I think my journey started originally sort of about 15 years ago. I'd been in the industry for a while. Um, and I'd started to see sort of um, ethical considerations being brought onto the table because as a designer and a, even a design manager, you're looking for the next thing Then you know, what's happening. Um, and I saw it starting all of those years ago. Yet as a young designer, I didn't particularly know what to do with it. Um, I kind of was in the system and thought, well, someone else will uh, tell me what to do and someone, you know, someone else will do it. You know, my CEOs might say, hey, you know, let's go towards this. Um, and it wasn't really until my mum passed away about five years ago uh, that I really woke up and thought, you know what, um, I can start to be something in this. Um, uh, and, and sometimes it does take that kind of... Um, jolt of realization of you know your own mortality you know for, for instance that takes you into um the next stage of your your uh, beingness i suppose um and i guess what i've learned from that is sort of always be open to learning um i think i stopped my formal learning when i was like 20 went into the industry and of course i learned on the job being a designer and design manager but what I did was just went into business as usual and had others say, this is what it's like. Um, whereas when my mum passed, I thought, well, actually, let's go into this and let's learn about it and let's um, let's see what we can be and do in it. Um, and I do think generally that um, it is a constant learning journey in sustainability. 
Um, so one thing I'd like to reflect on as well is how wherever you are on your journey, if you're starting out, um, even, even if you've been in industry or you've been in business for a long time, um, you know, it's never too late to start. Um, and also, you're never too small to start. You can have a voice um, and you can create ripples, however small or large they are. Um, and one thing I have learned is to look at cathedral thinking, sort of look at the bigger picture, what we're creating for our long term future generations. Um, and we might not see come to fruition what we're creating now, um, but know that what we're creating um, will be either an inspiration to the next generation, um, a learning for them, um, or might indeed start something rolling that uh, we will, may not ever comprehend. Thanks, Rachel. That's so interesting. A few, several things there really that have, that have come through um, for me, which I'd love to dive into if that's okay. Um, yeah. It feels like you know you you started out in what would be a you know conventional way, traditional way, went through education, went into industry, which can always be a hard thing for young people to make make that jump into industry. And then when you're going through that, you're learning on the job and it feels like there was maybe a life moment that shifted, I suppose, your perspective on, on kind of what you were experiencing. What was the the hardest thing during that transition professionally where you're moving from into industry, you know, learning maybe BAU on the job from people around you and, you know, you, I suppose you expect they must know what they're doing. What was the... What was the? Do you remember the way in which you navigated that, or, or maybe if there's any way, you, what you would tell your younger self, I suppose, starting out that journey again, just that transition from like education into industry, and then where you are today. What was the way you navigated that, and, and would you have done things any differently going again? And to the two sort of transitions are when I first went into industry as a, as from a, being a student to an industry professional was very similar to moving into sustainability even though i've stayed in industry and i'm now applying to sustainability practices it was the very it's, it's been the very same thing that that has been a stumbling block in terms of um this what's the word for it i'd say it's like this um chicken and egg situation you know when you first go into industry they're like, well, you, you need to have experience. I'm like, well, I can't have experience because I'm starting and I need to start somewhere, right? And, and it's been the same even in my older age now, I'm 42, moving and transitioning from kind of um, being business as usual to being in sustainability that I've had to, you know, really go on a learning journey with it, really teach myself, um, but also have that tenacity and I think that's that and both of those situation it's been my tenacity that has keep me going you know <laughs> my doggedness to getting into this and and being a stand for what both what I want to create but also what we need to create collectively for the world. That's so interesting how again so many and, and I can certainly um <laughs> relate to that experience and I know so many others every every year there's graduation suffering with a similar I suppose 
for them anxiety, but for you, you know, it's, it's you've been there before. This is this new feeling. Sorry, it's the same feeling, but just in a new experience there where you talk about chicken and egg and, and you touch there upon kind of this uh, tenacity towards your learning. I'd love to dig into that if, if we could, Rachel, I suppose, ask by, by first asking, where do you think that, that tenacity comes from? And are there any things there that you're conscious about that you harness when trying to push through those, those blockers or challenges in your current you know, career or life goals at the moment? In all of that, I suppose that the same sort of thing happened in the first instance that it did in the second part. And, and um, this life is too short thing, you know. Um, I had a turbulent time being a being a young person. Um, my thought father um, is and was mentally ill, you know, and really seeing how much life is lost by that kind of stuff and it wasn't just him there's there was other many different things that happened throughout my young life that I just thought you know really life's too short for for sitting on the sidelines um and it it really although that was a very turbulent time it's always been in the back of my mind you know um I don't I don't want to um, sit on the sidelines. I don't want to fall into just, um, you know, just being in life as it is. I want to have something to do with these things, you know, and, and we can all do that regardless of whether we've had a turbulent time or not. But that was my catalyst, I think, and still is, you know, um, seeing people who are less fortunate than myself in terms of, you know, the way their life plays out. Um, and, and knowing that that there's there's an equal space for everyone, regardless of like what stuff has happened to them in the past. No, thanks. Thanks a lot there, Rachel, for sharing. I, I think so often we don't, I think people look at things sometimes a bit too superficially, you know, here's, here's your professional life, here's your personal life. You know, I remember back in some of the marketing classes, you know, 101, demographics and all this, all this stuff that reduced people into these boxes. But but it's so interesting to hear, you know, just that authenticity of what, you know, probably drove you in the younger years. And, and even like right where we are today, we don't know the future. So for young people, it's, it's just as um, nerve wracking as it is even when you're older facing some uncertainty. And it's, you've got to have, it sounds like, you know, having support networks around you or even just realizing you have the ability in yourself to overcome these things it's a really powerful thing and, and I'd, I'd love to ask you know you're you're a mother yourself as well and you've you've taught with students and, and worked with young people and continue to do so are there any you know when you mention about cathedral thinking too and this idea of delaying that gratification what are your if you could share what are your reflections of what you see young people facing and are there you know similarities in that resilience that you've built up based on your life experiences that you would part you know give to other people or, or are there conversations you have with young people or ever had around how they view the world in similar ways 
Mm, yeah, I mean, definitely with my students, um, it's always been a conversation for, for us, you know, and, and I don't know if that's everyone in the education system. I, I teach at um, higher education, obviously, and uh, university. Uh, but um, for us, and I always say us rather than just me, <laughs> um, it was far more of a conversation. We were learning from each other. I, I was teaching them what I had experienced in the world, but also they were they were sharing with me about their experiences in the world. And, um, you know, my students came from all different manner of places, China, you know, Bangladesh, um, places where I hadn't necessarily been and experienced myself. You know, so I think that we can't have the audacity as educators to be like, we know everything, you know, and it's really looking at um, the world in a different way, you know, and knowing that everyone's coming from a different perspective, you know, they've lived a different life to you and a di in a different culture. Um, and that needs to be also looped at, you know, and um, I learned so, you mentioned my children and I do learn so much from my children about presence. You know, they, they asked, they ask me to be present to them, you know, and I think that that is one of the most important things is to be present and related to what to to the discussion that's happening. Not only that, but um, to to each other as as human beings, you know, that people have stuff going on and have have been through all of this diff these different experiences, um, and a, a lot of um, a lot of people talk about sort of the global self as well and how their experiences are so different to us, you know, and we can learn so much from that, from different aspects of what's going on in, in, the, in the rest of the world. It's not always, it shouldn't always be about, um, you know, um, a Western perspective. Um, and I think that that is also integral to what we're creating in the ecosystem incubator as well yeah thanks rachel yeah and it's interesting you touch on the, the incubator there um i love that point around you know being present and as educators not thinking you know we know everything how can anyone know everything i know you profess a lot to always be on that learning journey even though for me you are you know exceptionally experienced and you have loads of insight but I'm sure for you, after after getting to know you, you view others in a similar way. And and that's I think that's the beauty of it in a way. There's always someone's always looking up to you and you're always looking up to someone else. And I think that's a really humbling way to to view it, rather than this idea that someone is either intelligent or not, knowledgeable or not. You know, we all have it's a spectrum. And and you touch on there about, you know, relating the discussion back to humans. With the incubator. I suppose there's, there's never a more present theme that runs through it all because I know the diversity in there. But would you mind sharing with everyone, you know, what is the incubator, what what you're seeing with the community and, and what your what your aims are with that? And, and maybe how, I suppose, anything from your educational experience and the way that you work in presence of others um, plays into that in any way? Yeah, sure. Um... The ecosystem incubator is a 
living systems collaborative essentially in fashion in the small business fashion space at the moment however we don't profess to be like this is only for small businesses i'm very open we're very open to discussion with um, collaboration with larger businesses as well i don't think it should be like a hierarchical thing and certainly it's definitely moving away from this hierarchical thought process of um, that there's a big CEO, that's me, and I'm going to, you know, just sit there and take all of the profits. It's a, it's far more about everyone within the system collaborating together for thrive, thrivability for themselves uh, and each other, um, and then to build that lasting change towards sustainable futures in our industry. Um, I also see the incubator could move into other spaces uh, as well in terms of we could have ecosystems for, say, um, learning um, and education we could have ecosystems for other industries that actually lead into each other um, so the ecosystem is really difficult to sum up in one sentence <laughs> but um, yeah essentially we're looking at co co-creation uh, on at first minimum order quantities uh, collaboration on uh, co-marketing co-distribution co-circulation because um, the all of these these issues in our system, in our whole system, um, are really difficult for a small business to address on their own in isolation. Uh, so in coming together, we'd be able to create these joint ventures, essentially, and partnerships to be able to aid that or facilitate that change as, as a bigger entity. In the ecosystems, well, for this perspective piece and how people collaborate and work together, it is um, primarily a mindset shift from from working in separation. So, you know, this is my brand space and that is your brand space. And in fact, in the fashion industry and many industries over the years, it's been very cutthroat. It's been very like, we won't show each other what we're doing. Or we, we are competitive. We're coming from a competitive landscape. And moving into this collaboration piece, is actually quite difficult for a lot of people to try on. Um, so actually what we're seeing in the ecosystem um, and what we will see is people who are used to, or people or groups who are used to collaboration, being able to share about what they're creating in other countries, for instance. Um, so I don't know if I can mention um, specific people, but um, I know Kishore um, in Cardi, London, has has been working in a collaborative, um, collective way for a long time. So he saw in the ecosystem like a way to be able to translate that kind of thought process. Like, okay, how is my neighbour doing? Um, you know, how is how are the other brands doing? What can I do to help? Uh, but also, like, what can we do as one to um, start to look at the way? the way we, we interact with each of the environments and that could be in a locality as well, you know, so you could say, okay, we as a collective are creating in, um, I don't know, uh, Portugal. How does our creation affect that local biosphere, you know, and things like that. So we really start to address biodiversity as, as a team in a way, rather than it being all separated out and like, okay, I'm going to, uh, concentrate on emissions and uh, yes that's a really important part and I'm going to concentrate on doing organics and really going into regenerative um, 
fabrics and things like that. What the ecosystem gives, I think, is access to a more whole systems perspective where we can view things in a massively holistic way. And that's not like, you know, like I always say, that's not like a woo-woo thing. This is like something that really needs to be addressed at a as a government level, you know, um, when, we're, when we're looking at how we work with our industries, how we work with our individuals, how we work with um, our education system, how we work with our very economic system, the very economic system that we are attached to, how we start to create new economic ways of being with things. Yeah, um, there's so much there to to unpack. I absolutely love all of that. Um, I always love the reference to, to the woo-woo as well. <laughs> it's always good. I think it's so, so important sometimes to explore some of those topics, though, as well, rather than always being, you know, just pure theory or academia. I, I, I think, you know, you, t- you touch their mindset. Let's go there first, if you don't mind, Rachel. Um, the mindset shift, it can be hard to move into this. And, and you mentioned about, you know, sometimes showcasing people and you can absolutely reference anyone you want as long as you you know you, you feel comfortable they're okay being being referenced but for all the good things I'm sure they're okay um I, I saw somewhere the other day um there's a great group in Birmingham doing something around diversity which has a slogan you can't be what you can't see and so they're really keen to showcase you know the, the range of diversity and people who are doing amazing things to inspire young people especially you know there's this common theme of women being CEOs, women raising investment, um, or maybe there's some other socioeconomic portions of society that just don't get the chance to get into technology, let's say. So I love the idea of, you know, showcasing. Why do you think it's so hard to move into a new mindset when, you know, people are looking at, even when you talk about the economics of the world, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of those key challenges that you've you've seen and, and is, is showcasing an alternative the best way or are there other other ways would you mind just trying to unpack that for us a little bit please yeah I'll, I'll try to do my best with it um i think that over the many years even many generations we have become accustomed to um a very set way of doing things systemically um and i think that most problems um diversity for instance as you're talking about so many uh, and and also you know why why someone like me from a working class background would feel you know that she doesn't have anything that she can add to these kind of world issues right because in intrinsically we feel like we're part of the machine okay so i think part of the mindset shift thing is is a systemic problem that we need to address, um, you know, whether that's looking at something like collective trauma, which I mean, you can look at look that up as well. It's it's on the slightly woo woo plane, but essentially that we've been indoctrinated over generations to us having a certain way of being. You know, this is the only way that we can do things. We can only go towards GDP growth, for instance, or you know. Um, how, how could I come out of the, this kind of the life that I've been, you know, born into, you know? Um, how can looking at the, the system itself, and I often look at this in, in looking at the economic system, is looking at it 
as if it was a game of musical chairs, right? So this is going to sound a bit weird. But if we look at our systems as if it was a game of musical chairs now, if you're playing it when you're a kid, it's like jovial. So, okay, I lost my chair. Maybe you might have a cry, whatever. But when you move into looking at that economic system as a game of musical chairs, when you lose your chair, you're going to lose uh, your job, your access to healthcare, uh, you know, all of these things that um, we have fear of losing when, when we're in a, you know, a job and things. Um, when you lose that um, chair, you then lose everything. Wouldn't the game be a lot more um, competitive? And I think one of my students actually asked, "Can I elbow people when we do this?" So because we, we did a real game of musical chairs with with wow. my students, right? You know, so that competitive nature just comes out, and 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 it, the system is only set up for people who are ruthless, for people who are generally. They might be just very lucky, you know, when you're game, playing a game of musical chairs as a kid, some people are just really lucky, you know, um, or some might be really ruthless. Uh, and, and what's left out is the section of society that has been, you know, um, outcast due to this collective trauma or the collective things that have happened to us over centuries. Um, and that needs to change. It needs to shift. And um, what what I have people try on is a a new game of musical chairs, um, and that is to see the chairs where you might have one area that has room for ten, twenty, thirty people in one space on one chair, and also you know look at the kind of chairs that people might want to sit in. People might not want to sit on a hard chair for the rest of their lives. That's why so many people are so annoyed with their jobs you know they might want to sit on a soft chair and you might be able to share or whatever that is right um for those people wouldn't that be far more collaborative wouldn't that be far more of a conversation about what's so unjust for people um and this has come from the wonderful charles eisenstein so if you do want to look at kind of um how we look at new economic systems do check check out his book, um, well, many books on on the subject of both mindset shift, uh, economic shift, uh, and so many other things. I can give you some links to my book list on that. Always down for links to reading further, Rachel. Absolutely, that that that's really interesting. The the musical chairs. It reminds me of a, a study that was done with a Monopoly game as well. I think there's a guy who did a TED talk called Paul Piff. Um, which showed some some interesting behaviours, like your student said about. I'm sure you know he mentions it in jest, but actually, when you're talking about such serious things that you may lose, I suppose there's a there's a rational view towards that irrational behaviour. It can bring out the worst in people, which goes back to your point before, doesn't it? You know, around relating discussions to humans and, and trying to bake in that that compassion. If if we lose that conversations can probably become a bit too one for a better word economic um uh, mechanical mechanical robotic mechanical it's just mechanical. you know and, and this mm-hmm. the systems are set up for that way you know that way of thinking and what we say when i studied the regenerative it was very much like balancing this uh, you know many aspects but essentially sort of left brain right brain you know one mm. side of the brain is very 
very mechanistic is very looking at things in a very logical way and it doesn't mean that we have to lose that but we have to we have to balance it with far more of um the, the other side of the brain where we're compassionate as you said but where we're relatable to other people where, where you know and we also look at it in terms of masculine and feminine not necessarily like male or female like in a in a genital way but in a kind of um aspects of of those uh, of masculinity and femininity that need to balance and i think the system the systems have been far more balanced on in terms of the masculine and the way that uh things are run has been far more about that kind of mechanical way of doing things rather than looking at vulnerability and uh, as, as a as a leadership quality you know so absolutely if you wouldn't mind, if we stay on this for, for a moment, um, you talk about systems and it's, it's not to call out any one particular one unless you feel, you know, uh, a lot of conviction towards that, Rachel. But I'd be interested in, you referred to, you know, government obviously plays a role, but, but also education systems it, for a young person, you know, especially someone who's like, let's say, you know, hits the age of 25 they've been in a system the educational you know institutions throughout from kindergarten all the way through to higher ed you know what role do they play and how important is it do you feel to have that variety of conversation during those formative years i think it's integral um that we build systems for education that again are not um, that are not kind of focused on 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 one set of quantifying um, qualities and that we should start to look at other qualities to put into the equation. Um, you know, I'm not saying what those need to be, but, you know, like, so um, really looking at how we start to work with kids, you know, like the, even, you know, toddlers <laughs> to, to look at how we bring compassion into the way that they are being educated you know and I, I think there's some amazing teachers out there I really do um, I'm not necessarily sure that the system is set up to to nurture that right now you know so there's some people that, like in any system there's some people that go above and beyond and go out of their way um, to do good right and that's brilliant um, but the system itself doesn't doesn't hold that up, doesn't help that. It sees it as a, a do-gooding thing to do, you know, which is fine. But does that help? Mm. Does that help in terms of like um, creating things on a bigger scale? You know, it might. I mean, and I always go back to small ripples are brilliant too, because like if you were a teacher and you are out there sharing this uh, amazing stuff then do keep sharing don't think that you're a small person like because really you're not you're a really big person for doing that and being that um but i think if we're moving towards a, a bigger mindset shift with this kind of thing i think we need to be ha putting these kind of principles and balancing the two sides of the coin um far more from 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 a very young age it even starts you know as soon as you're you're born in some ways no i think that's 
Uh, absolutely. I can I totally hear what you're saying as well about having this balance. You know, you, people should do things that are good, but we know that if you can also reinforce that with, with reward, you probably well, you probably create a system out of that good stuff as well. So, you know, there are things you can't just rely on the philanthropy of people. You should try to bake that in if you if you care about that end outcome. Mm. With the um, maybe because I know we're coming towards the top of the hour. Um, there's so many interesting tangents here, but I suppose with talking about, let's start here actually, if we could, when we're thinking of systems and then even when we're looking at regenerative thinking and maybe remodeling the system towards a more relevant and purposeful outcome, uh, as you said about maybe, you know, collectivism and, and having more people on those, on those chairs, is there a danger as well in creating another system that becomes blind to its issues or what do you think is the best way to create a system that can, I suppose, whistleblow or, or self-guard itself from those issues? That's an interesting question. And mm, it's something that when we look at regenerative sort of systems, that it, we, it's not even kind of talked about because when we're creating bottom-up systems, I mean, and that's sort of coming from from the other side of the, the the fence rather than being i'm a i'm a ceo or i'm i'm prime minister and i'm going to say this is what it is um it's far more a a larger community response to to the problems and issues that we're seeing in society um so collectively um they would create in in small smaller self-organizing teams or localities where they'd be able to address in that locality um, the real issues that's, that are going on there, because it's not the same in every place, right? So we can't use the same the same systems to sort it out in 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 many different places. So it's almost holistic to each place, uh, and and this is one of the things that um, that uh, Ken Alston as well was talking about on my first podcast for the Ecosystem Incubator, where in sustainability we're seeing sort of we're seeing some things addressed so we're almost seeing sustainability in a three-dimensional thing so i think it was something like uh, we're looking at emissions we're looking at sustainability you know how do we actually facilitate sustainability we're looking at circularity but one thing we're missing out on is this locality piece and that's more looking at he calls four-dimensional sustainability where we are addressing those systemic problems we're addressing those industry problems in each location so like i said then it becomes far more holistic and about each each place in terms of sense of place um and i can link you actually to some some things that happened in many different locations um around the world in terms of creating um sort of regenerative cities um and even when you look at something like the permaculture movement of which rob hopkins is is um an amazing spokesperson for has been creating down in totnes in in the uk to start looking at lo locality and how we create that um in terms of you said sort of a sense of control um that's kind of coming from a a, a mechanical um, thought process in a way we in our in our mechanical way of thinking we have been 
so used to trying to control everything. And that's why the coronavirus is, is so um, such an interesting piece to look at. How we can control that is is um, is is generally how we want to do everything. We want to control it. We want to be like, okay, in the coronavirus, we can control like how whether people go in and out whether people interact with each other when they wash their hands you know all of that kind of stuff but really stepping into not knowing and stepping into this um this this new mindset of it will play out how it needs to play out i mean and i think definitely we're not moving to a system where we're going let's be all become communists because that's like really not it it really is about this locality thought process, this holistic um, sort of thought process around how we create our industries, how we create our communities, how we create our governmental systems. Do they have to be centralised? Can they be decentralised? And then talk to each other like almost um, ecosystems of government itself. You know, I think about these things way too much, Sam. It's so interesting to hear how Rachel thinks about the big systems, economics, society and diversity, but then brings it back to smaller working groups to create change at a local level. For us as professionals, our colleagues, the people around us and even our loved ones, it's important to show and encourage with enthusiasm people to explore their passions, however different they are to our own, and show that by making small steps and small actions at a local level, we can create ripples to impact many more around the world in a positive way. You can follow Rachel at Circular Earth and explore more of her work at www.circular-earth.co.uk and I'll add the links in the description as well. But thanks for listening. This has been Relearning Wonder with Sam Reader. We'll be back every third Monday of the month to hear new stories, more ideas and explore experiences that encourage us to wonder of the change we can all have. For now, never lose your sense of wonder. What is the wonder of wonder? Fear of failure prevents us from reaching our full potential. We need to pave the way for them to ask why. Curiosity gives us nine lives. Marked with a low grade, the inevitable talk happens. And you're teaching kids to hate maths. And that's very, very sad. And, and then you try again. It's never too late. It's my mission to sort of defend that curiosity. Never believe a prediction that doesn't empower you. But hopefully, along this little journey, I've managed to inspire a little wonder in you as well.